Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Bofast Think Smart with JL Coaching. Today we bring you England International Vitality Blast winner, Pat Brown. Right, okay, uh, great to be joined today by Pat Brown, England International Worcestershire Rapids player. Um, a lot of first class and Vitality Blast experience so far. Um, I think, Pat, it's safe to say you didn't have a conventional route into first class cricket. Just talk us through your journey from junior cricket into the Worcestershire Academy? Uh, yeah, so my, my route was probably different to most. So I uh, I was from Lincolnshire originally, where there's no first-class county around. So the closest ones would be sort of Leicester, Northampton, Notts, which were all over an hour away still. So there was no real ties to any of them. Um, so I just played club cricket and sort of minor counties, age group cricket. Um, and then got in got in touch with a bloke called Ross Stewart, who's actually my strength and conditioning coach now at Worcester. Uh, just for some, he had a company that gave out programs to people who didn't have access to to sort of the stuff the academy boys get. So I got got involved with that and just badgered him and another guy he do, he does it with called Stefan Jones. Um, got as much info as I could off them really and. Um, they ran a, it was sort of like a, a trial day sort of thing where you just turn up and bowl as quick as you can, essentially, uh, in front of, I think it was four first class coaches. So there was a Worcester bowling coach there, a Surrey coach, uh, Somerset, and I've forgotten the other one. But yeah, they all they all asked me to, to do a trial with them and come and bowl at the academy lads they had and see how I got on. So I ended up having trials or being off for trials at six counties and um, I did end up going to, to a couple of them because when I'd, when I'd trained with the Worcester and got offered a place there, I'd pretty much already made my mind up. So yeah, it was it was a strange route in, but I think it stood me in good stead really because I became quite self-sufficient in, in what I did and I didn't need anyone to tell me this is what you need to do, this is when you need to do it. I sort of just knew. Yeah, so I suppose that All start... stuff was sort of self-coached. Yeah, that start sort of makes you more independent as a cricketer from a young age because you've had to go out and actively put yourself out there to try and get noticed. Obviously, you mentioned there six clubs offered you a trial. What was it about Worcester that kind of grabbed you and thought, yeah, this is the place where I want to play my cricket? Well, there's a few things really. So, the first thing was was obviously that Ross Stewart. I had I had quite a good relationship with him already. So, the the opportunity to be with him at Worcester and someone who knew me, I was familiar with the sort of stuff and the sort of gym exercises that he he prescribed. Um, so that was a big thing. Another thing was the the academy director at Worcester now and then Elliot Wilson. Uh, played cricket in like the the rival team to where my club is, so like ten minutes away from where I actually lived, which was sort of happy coincidence. So it, it meant there was a an easy way of sort of keeping in touch, or him keeping in touch with my club team and people at my club because he already knew them. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to be at Worcester for four training sessions a week because it's a five hour round trip. So I was able to just go once a week or twice some weeks and he could still keep in touch with my progress um, back home and 
that sort of thing. And then the, the other thing really was just that all the boys at Worcester were so nice and so welcoming, which I didn't quite get at other, other counties. It felt a bit more like competition, whereas there it was just, it felt like a just a group of really nice lads and obviously the um, Worcester has sort of become renowned for academy talent coming off the off the line and into first first team cricket. So sort of at Worcester there was there's a clear path to follow which I felt if I was gonna manage to play first class cricket then that was probably my, my best opportunity to do so. Yeah, like you mentioned there, the impression that I think quite a lot of people get of the Worcester squad when you watch them on Sky obviously had success in the in the blast the last few years is that you look a very tight knit group. How has that helped you with your personal cricket development, knowing that you've got such a close environment to do it in? Yeah, I, th- I think it does help. We've we've discussed it a lot as a squad in terms of we we know it can help, but there's there's certain times where it can actually work against you. Um, so like in a positive way, you you're always looking to help your teammates. Like if I see something with Dill, or he sees something with me, we'll happily have a chat to try and help each other whereas I don't know I'm only guessing but I imagine at other counties it's a bit more like competition if you're not mates with someone I'm not going to help him to become better than me if that makes sense yeah no absolutely <laughs> I will take my place in the team so I think that really helps with everyone helps each other um, but then as I mentioned I, it, it's we've we've said it can work against us at times because we don't want to have the hard conversations where you perhaps dig someone out or like Dill would question me saying, why why didn't you prep properly before you bowled or you bowled, didn't bowl very well today, like what's going on? Yeah. We don't have too many of them conversations and we've got better at it, but I think it, it's, it works both ways, definitely being a, a tight-knit group and you've got to make sure that you still, you still know that it's a, it's a working environment and although they're your mates, you've still got to hold people accountable for mistakes they make or if they're not doing stuff properly. And that's that's where we can improve and we've got better and hopefully we'll continue in that direction. Yeah, and it's a very good point there actually you made because the hard conversations, obviously the tough ones to have, but they can all in some ways be the most beneficial ones. So have you found that now those tougher conversations are happening a little bit more you're taking a little bit more from your teammates and more awareness of what's going on around. Yeah, I think I think once it starts, it becomes sort of a not a snowball effect, but it becomes easier because you realise it's it's actually not as bad as you probably think it is to just question someone or have a little dig at someone. And I think if you go back to being tight knit, that. That does help that in a way as well because I know that if Dill's saying something to me, he's digging me out. I know it's coming from a good place. He's not just doing it to put me down. Yeah, there's always a constructive reason so we'll, behind. We'll be mates afterwards, and we'll be mates after after one of us has said something to the other. Like there's there's a time actually last year where uh, in a training session before T20, me and Finchie like in a practice game, had a massive ding dong at each other on the pitch in front of everyone. And it was it was quite strange, and that sort of stuff never really happens at Worcester. And it was it was weird. And afterwards, I was like, I dug him out. And afterwards, I was like, Is this going to be frosty? I'm not not sure. How, yeah, not how sure what the uh, reception is going to be like. Yeah. No. And straight after, it was completely fine, and he 
he said, yeah, hold my hands up. And I said, yeah, sorry, I shouldn't have gone at you like that. And he was like, yeah, it's fine. Move no. on and then both learn. And I think it, it was a really good learning experience for us both. And I think for Finchie as well. And, and for me, he probably learned that it's okay to do it, but maybe do it in the right manner. But sometimes sometimes you have to just say what you're feeling at, at the time because otherwise it's not, not as authentic or it doesn't have doesn't have the same effects yeah exactly it must create such a trustworthy environment to know that once you started having these conversations that actually they are they're working they're not for the sake yeah, of exactly, being yeah. someone out to have a go at them it's all constructive and it's all towards the team yeah. um there with that squad mentality there's also obviously a winning mentality in that squad um 2018 you guys won the vitality 2020 blast uh including a very good year for you um, with the wickets what was that year like for you as a young bowler to so, sort of kick start your career yeah strange really it was surreal so the the first the first game of the tournament so I played six games the year before in 2017 and I'm not done very well but nobody did to be honest we were rubbish <laughs> um, so I started the first game I turned up for the first game away at Lanks and I wasn't sure if I was going to play because at that point I wasn't wasn't nailed on at all was to be playing. So we played the first game and I did okay, like I went at nines or eights or something, didn't get a wicket, and I turned up to the next game against Warwickshire at home and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm gonna play or I probably didn't do enough to to stay in the team. And then luckily I suppose I, I stayed in the team and that game I took three wickets and probably saved ten rounds on the boundary fielded as well as I've ever fielded and we won obviously being at Warwickshire so that that was the first time really that I'd ever felt sort of settled in the team not settled for a long time but I knew the next game I was playing and I'd never had that before yeah the opportunity so, to look ahead and know that I can prepare in the knowledge that I'm going to be yeah, playing exactly, the next yeah. game yeah it's so, it's so weird turning up when you, you don't know if you're playing because you're like do I prep properly your mindset's not fully there. It's, you, you're trying to prep as if you're playing, but also you're like, I'm probably not going to be playing. And really, you're just waiting for the captain to tell you if you're playing or not. Yeah. Up to that point, you don't you don't really prep properly for the game, subconsciously, I think. So that, that gave me the first sort of opportunity to look ahead and, and know that I was going to be playing a couple of games, which is really nice. And then sort of luckily or skillfully, however you want to put it, it just took off from there, really, and I, I think I took two wickets pretty much every game from from that point in. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an incredible season. I think that that was the first time we got to the finals day um, as a as a club. So that was pretty special just for us to get there. And I remember, I remember Mo saying before the quarter final, "Don't worry about this lot. This isn't this is their final. This for us is." just another game they're in our way they're in the way of something that we want and we're just going to push, push them aside um, so we made it sound pretty simple we <laughs> didn't make it simple for ourselves we uh, we uh, started in a I think we were chasing 160 or something and luckily Callum Ferguson the overseas at the time steadied the ship he was a calm head and he got 60 not out or something and we won the game pretty easily in the end but for a moment it was a bit like oh god we're going to Ball here, Mo out second ball, and from that point everyone just suddenly went quiet, and it was 
it was a horrible experience really that the crowd at Worcester aren't too loud and they were silent so it was weird it was like playing with no fans there but they were watching <laughs> did that, it was strange did that stand you in good stead then to go into finals there knowing that you'd been in a precarious position in the quarter final to come through that and then into finals day did that kind of give you a renewed belief in that even if the game doesn't go to plan we can still dig ourselves out and get through yeah we uh, I think throughout that season we, we won two or three tight games so we'd been in sort of big games that had gone down to the wire and come out on the right side of them so we knew we knew what that felt like and we knew that we were good enough to to come out the other side really so that that mindset certainly helps sort of knowing that you've done it before that you can do it so yeah I, th- I think we were just we were just relishing it really we didn't know what to expect I think it quite helped us we didn't have massive expectations from the fans or from the club as players we did obviously but there wasn't they didn't feel like massive external pressure because yeah. there was no one else really talking about us the media before finals day not one person even mentioned us essentially winning even though we'd been top of the group by some distance so it was there was no really no pressure we just went out there and and played pretty well we had a we did okay against Lanks we again we got in a tight position and and Coxie managed to to hit 50 or 30 balls or something which which got us over the line and I remember the before the final we played Sussex in the final and they smashed Somerset and Mo gave us a team talk and said they've played their best cricket already Yeah, we've got so much more to come they can't get any better for this game as we can go up two or three levels here yeah so and, I guess you kind of timed yeah. that peak at the right time and just continue to improve as you got through the tournament um, in yeah, terms exactly, of yeah. in terms of you for, as an individual do you have certain performance markers that after a game you think yeah went went under nines bowled well there, hit these areas? Or is it very much a match-by-match match basis, taking it in the context of what's gone on? Um, yeah, I don't I don't generally assess based on any stats or anything like that. It's, it's mainly a feel and I'll have a conversation with the bowling coach or the bowlers after and sort of try and analyse it. But yeah, it's very much match-by-match. Match. I think going into a game, my, my target is to always go for under 30 I feel like if I go for under 30 I've had a good game yeah. Man, what happens if I go under 8 bowling 2 at the power play and 2 at the depth I've done pretty well it doesn't always happen but even if I'm under 35 I think that's that's okay if I pick up a wiki or 2 and go for 35 I think that's a decent game generally but yeah like I say it's, it's very much dependent on the game itself and I I tend to analyse it more on on feeling and knowing you know how you bowled, yeah. It doesn't matter about the stats, so more so on that than stats. How much benefit does that have to you then, just to be able to keep focusing on your performance and training based on just feel? Is there certain times when you think I've bowled well, bowled really well there, it's come out, I've hit the areas, my change ups are good, compared to other times where you think, oh, maybe not, maybe this hasn't worked, this hasn't worked. How does that then affect your build up to the next game? Is there certain things you're putting in place in training to work on the back of it, or is it more of a generalised approach? Um, I don't really have a set thing I do to prep for a game, really, because the games come so thick and fast, and sometimes you have a week between games. 
sometimes you have three or five days so often there isn't time to trade in between games you just go game to game so you know, I feel like if I rely too heavily on trading before a game I'll get flustered because if there's a time where I can't I'll be like oh what do I do how do I how do I prep for this game um, but yeah if something's not probably felt right I'll just consciously do a little bit extra in trading when I do get the opportunity um, or even before before a game if we go back to back or something I'll just head out 20 minutes earlier um, and just do a little bit with the bowling coach just work on what I think I need to work on and, and I generally I'm pretty happy with that yeah no it sounds like a good work ethic which led to an England call up and ultimately an England debut in New Zealand in 2019 um, just sum up the feelings and emotion that came with the initial call up to the England squad um, yeah it, it was pretty special I hadn't really heard rumours or anything or I wasn't particularly expecting it because I didn't have an amazing sort of tournament in 2019 it was okay like I took I think it was 20 wickets or something like that didn't do brilliantly I had a good finals day which obviously helps so I, after finals day I thought I, I might have a chance um, but yeah I was it was just amazing really I didn't I didn't really know what to do or what to expect I'd never been on a a Lions trip or a under 19s trip like sort of did the Finchie have done so I literally had no idea what to expect or any experience of how it all worked so I kind of just thought I need to just take this with, take it how it comes and make sure I'm, I'm in a, as good a position as I can be to, to go back and, and do well. Yeah, so how much, did, how much did you learn from that tour as a young bowler, first England call-up? Like you said, no Lions previous experience, thrown in right at the deep end, the top level of international cricket. How much did you take from that tour as a cricketer? Um... I learned that bowling to people like Colin de Grandome on Tiny Grounds wasn't much fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I think playing obviously in a different country was a massive learning experience. And like I just alluded to there, really, it's New Zealand is a bit different. All the grounds were really small. There wasn't really one ground. It was big, like a, an Old Trafford or a Edgbaston or something. So it was it was tough and sort of my style of bowling isn't really that suited to small grounds so to be thrust out there in at the top level really against a really good side um, at pretty much full strength bar Kane Williamson was was really tough and I, I had to learn quickly and adapt and I think that the key for me was or the thing I told myself is if I fail I'm going to fail on my terms I'm, I'm not too bothered about the ground being that small if he hits my best slower ball out the ground and it goes five metres over the rope just because it's a small ground, I'm happy with that. Like, uh, Obviously, I'd rather he didn't, but I don't want to... I'd rather go for 20 in and over bowling the way I've bowled to get there than trying to bowl Yorkers and go for 20 in and over because that's not, that's not how I sort of got there. So I, I sort of had a, a conversation with myself that I might need to change it a little bit more than I normally would. But my basic plan in, in what I, how I was going to attack it was was pretty much the same as how I'd got there because I, I didn't want to, like I say, I don't know if I'm going to be there again. So if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail on my terms. I'm not going to 
fail doing what someone else thinks I should be doing. Yeah. Fail doing what what I want to do. That's that's a really good point because I think a lot of cricketers when they go to a step up, whether it be a trial or a new club, they often think out of the box and do something that's not them just to try and impress. Whereas yeah, actually sticking to the game plan and sticking to what's got you to that point is nine times out of ten the best way to go because you know your game inside out, you back your skills in that manner. I think that's a really good way exactly, to look yeah. at it. You don't you obviously have to adapt a little bit, but but your basic game shouldn't shouldn't change too much. If you're a batsman who's tries to dominate, if you go up a level you shouldn't start trying to block it. You should. You might have to block a few more balls, and you have to accept that you have to adapt. But you should still be on the front foot, trying to whack it. Really, yeah. In my opinion, yeah. No, exactly. Um, so England debut, and then into the big bash with the Melbourne Stars. Obviously, didn't quite go to plan with the back injury. But how hungry does that make you to get back to that level again and be in a part of those franchise tournaments? Yeah, it really does. The uh, the big bash thing was really disappointing because I obviously didn't get an opportunity to play out there, which would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, like like you said, I think it's it's just it's spurred me on really to have a really good winter this year and and put myself in a position where physically I'm able to get back to that level. Um, yeah, and, yeah, just aspire to to get back to being in contention for that sort of thing. Yeah, like you said there with obviously getting physically back up to the level, how much resilience is required to keep bouncing back from injuries? Because obviously, fast bowling, it's a high, high impact sport for fast bowlers. And there's obviously a lot of injury risks, especially you, a couple of back stress fractures, wasn't it? So yeah. how, how resilient do you have to be to keep coming back and keep putting the work in to get back to that level? Yeah, it is tough. I think the toughest thing about it is sort of seeing your teammates take your spot in the team or sort of go past you in a way like physically there's there'll be there's probably times where you see someone doing something and you're like I can't do that now but I could if I didn't have this injury yeah. and it's really sort of disheartening but you have to just try and use it as a as a positive and it, it does take resilience and you sort of have to accept that it's not going to be not going to be particularly easy and just get on with it and take your medicine and and try as best you can to, to just get back to where you need to be yeah no I think again that's a really really good way of looking at it and a lot of young cricketers can learn from that because there will be young cricketers who pick up injuries and think they can't get back to that level but taking care of their own game and kind of ignoring the noise that's going on around and just focusing on getting yourself back to that level is a really good point um, obviously, when you're fully fit and firing, innovation is a massive part of your game and has underpinned your success in white ball cricket with slow balls, knuckle balls, etc. How did you settle on the methods and techniques behind your change-up deliveries? Was it trial and error or more of a one-size-fits-all sort of way of going about it? Um, I think... I remember speaking to to Daryl Mitchell about this. I can't remember if it was after I'd sort of had that success in 2018 or before. I'm sure, I think it was after. But I remember talking to him, and I hadn't consciously sort of done this, but then 
looking back after this conversation, I realised I had done it. And he he basically said if I was in a position where I was a young lad and not in the team, I'd be looking at the team and thinking, where is what role is there a gap? So I know it kind of contradicts what we've just said about not changing your own game, but sometimes to get into a team, you have to. Yeah. If you're an opening back to and there's a spot at five, what are you going to do? Say, no, I'm not batting at five. After so we we basically spoke about that and I think looking back I kind of did that in a way so at Worcester we didn't really have anyone who bowled slow balls we had Leachy who went a lot of Yorkers and Whitehall and Jack Shantry before when I was when I was there he was similar so for me looking back I'd obviously had the experience in 2017 of playing a few games and we we didn't bowl many slur balls and we didn't particularly go that well at the death. So I subconsciously, not consciously, I'd obviously spotted that there was a gap there. There wasn't really a, a spot to open the bowling. But if I could work on becoming a death bowler, and it's something I really wanted to do anyway, because I just like being under the pressure of that. So I, I sort of thought if I could become a, a good death bowler then I'll nail my spot down for this team and yeah the the knock of all the stuff that was just trying and error and I've been bowling it for a, probably a year before it, it got decent um, and yeah luckily it, it just clicked really in, in 2018 and it's gone on from there but yeah it was it was certainly trial and error I didn't go about it saying definitely need to bowl slow balls and all of this it just came more naturally to me than bowling Yorkers yeah, what you said there was interesting about how it took a year to be up to the standard that you uh, you wanted it to be at. Was there ever a point in a game before that where you thought, I might just throw it in here, but didn't have that full confidence? Was it about waiting until you were fully happy with that ball to then go and add it to your skills? Um, yeah, so I bowled it in 2017, and it was, it was still a decent ball. I just couldn't get it to... It just didn't click. And at the time, I didn't know that it wasn't clicking. Yeah. Because I'd never experienced it being any better than that. But I just thought, yeah, this is what I'm going with. I remember bowling at Ben Cox in the next, and he, him saying, oh, that's the best slow ball in the club. And I was like, oh, I'll carry on with this. Like, I'll keep going with this. And obviously, at that time, I was probably 18 years old and not really played any cricket. So to hear that, I was like, oh, okay this is probably the route I need to go down. So I continued with it really and it, for some reason, I'd always bowl it better in the nets than in the game. In the game, I didn't come out as nicely, but I, I persevered with it because I knew it had the potential to be good as, alongside of the skills. And then for some reason, in 2018, in the semi-final of the one day cup, I was bowling it sort of throughout this game, through the 10 overs. And then in the last over of the game, I bowled one to Haino Kuhn and it just came out differently. Like I don't know what happened, but it came out and it was unbelievable. And I was like, that is that is good. And I didn't I don't know what I did. Nothing really changed. <laughs> Something just clicked. Mm. So looking back, I was like, I don't know how I did that. And that actually became a problem for me later down the line. But yeah, for, for some reason it just clicked. It wasn't really through any technical intervention or anything like that I just I've been bowling it for a period of time and for some reason it just clicked and 
from there throughout 2018 definitely it, it became really good and it stayed at that level how um, with that then how important is it for young cricketers to understand that innovations and change-ups and things like that don't happen overnight that it is a prolonged period of time no they, they definitely don't I think for me really for for both of my like, main slower balls they both took a year of bowling them to become good so my, my knuckleball I bowled for probably a year before it became good and it's actually dropped off of it again now I don't know why and my off cutter when I was bowling it in 2018 so I, I started bowling off cutter probably about a year later than I did a knuckleball um, so I bowled the knuckleball for a year it became good in 2018 and I was bowling an off cutter in 2018 alongside it that wasn't that good and then in 2019 my off cutter became really good and my knuckleball dropped off a little bit but yeah so like I said both of them took a year to get to a level where I was not I was still bowling them in games I was confident enough to use them but they weren't really weapons they were just they were okay yeah just so they, something it took you could a bring year, out it took a year for them to become to the point where I was like this is good and I know it's good yeah whereas before I was like this is alright but it's not gonna it's not gonna get anyone out really it might stop me at the six but it's not going to get him out. Whereas after that, it became a, more of a weapon, like I said. Yeah. How much confidence does it give you going to a game knowing that you've got skills of that level, knowing that you're prepared to a level where you can bowl the knuckleball and bowl the off-cutter? It does. It, it certainly, for me, it, it means before a game, I know I can be on the front foot and I'm on the front foot in my preparation because I'm not worried about anyone else. I'm thinking... I think the thing the thing about having confidence in the ball you're bowling is you don't care about a batter. So for me, in 2018 with a knuckleball, I did not care if he hit it six at all because I thought this is this is good and it's got a lot of people out and it's served me really well. So I don't care if you hit it six because it's still my best ball. And if you do it again and again, I'll say fair enough. You're not going to, because this is good. Yeah. And sort of that mindset is a little bit deluded almost, but <laughs> that mindset sort of put me in a, a state of mind where I was so, so positive and so on the front foot all the time, where it sort of manifested and it. I, it did, I did really well with it. But yeah, that, that mindset of not knowing it's good and therefore not caring what happens because you know it's good is, is perfect. Because there are, there are times in 2020 cricket regardless of how you bowl you're going to get whacked so I think like I said before you, you swallow your medicine and accept that it's going to happen at some point but it doesn't mean you go away from what your strengths are and if your strengths are knuckleball and you're good at bowling that then bowl it and it doesn't matter if someone gets hold of it yeah I, I like that approach it's an, it's an interesting one you've just mentioned where in younger cricketers now if they get hit for six the head drops if they're hitting their, their line of length and the batsman hits them for six that's it and that's the end of the world and they start changing so many different things to try and get back on top of the batsman where as what you said there is perfect just back your skills to bowl your best ball and knowing that your best ball is better than that batsman and doesn't matter who's at the other end it's a great great starting point as a, as a bowler I think you have to be stubborn in the sort of my mindset is if I try and bowl a slow ball and it gets hit my mindset isn't, oh, I need to go away from that now. 
my mindset is now nah, I'm going to bowl this better. Don't go away from the plan. There's nothing wrong with the plan. Just bowl it better. If you miss a Yorker, you don't not bowl a Yorker again. You just bowl it better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or if a batsman tries to hit six and crosses it and hits a, gets a one, he does not try and hit six again. So as a bowler, we need to you need to be stubborn in that if you've got the right plan, then you need to you need to go with it. And just because it goes wrong once, you just execute your plan better the next time. You don't change the plan. No, I think that's fantastic advice. Wherein it's self improvement all the time in that way. How can I do this better next time? It's constantly thinking, which is so so important as a young bowler. Um, obviously, that white ball success, coming back from injury, and back in the England fifty-five man training squad at the start of last season. Um, again, what was it like to be in the knowledge that you were still in and around that England setup at the start of obviously after impacted by the virus? How much of a confidence boost was it to you to start that shortened season? Yeah, it, it was nice just. As much as anything, coming off the rehab of a stress fracture, it was nice to just be able to to get back bowling again, which I hadn't obviously been able to do for so long. Um, so yeah, as, as much as anything, it was just nice to be able to start training. But yeah, it, it was it was a nice confidence boost and sort of a nice reminder that I was sort of still in and around the selectors' thinking. Um, but yeah, I, I knew probably I wasn't going to be ready to to play anything, but. I was just sort of happy to be able to start trading again as much as anything. Yeah, and then if we fast forward to the end of the 2020 season, um, I've seen that in, in a few interviews you were quite disappointed with how your season was. Um, how does that honest and upfront assessment help you set your goals and areas to improve for the future? Um, I think... I think like anything, if you're not honest with yourself, then you're not gonna you're not gonna make the necessary improvements really. Or sort of, if you're lying to yourself, then you're not gonna push yourself to do the right things the next time. And everyone knows in the lying to themselves, it's not something you get away with. I know if I just gloss over this season and think, oh, it was alright, I'll be fine next year. I know subconsciously that isn't true. So there's no point trying to hide from it. So I think sort of having that honest assessment and and looking back on what was a tough time, it's it's allowed me to to sort of set myself back to square one to answer your question and, and sort of just go from there and wipe the slate clean. So in my in my mind I've sort of put the last three years into one box and sort of close that as a chapter yeah. or a book that's sort of gone now so sort of having this reflection on on last season has just allowed me to do that and and in my head I've sort of left all of that in the past now all of that's gone and that, that chapter's finished and now I'm back to the start again and I think that hopefully that mindset sets me in good stead No, again that reflection on what you've done how far you've come where you're at is fantastic self-improvement all the time it's really important for any young cricketer um, with that in mind then in the coming years do you have any specific goals of what you hope to achieve or levels you hope to get to in the coming years um, I'd like to get back to 2018 levels but uh, I'm not, not sure it'll be attainable really to do that well but 
yeah, I think the main thing for me at the moment really is I want to just get back bowling and have a full season where I'm not on the physio bed half the time with a bad back. So my my main goal for now really is is to just get fit. I think I, I have enough confidence in myself and my ability to to know that if I'm fit and fit and firing that the results will look after themselves. If I work hard on my fitness and, and train hard, the results will look after themselves. I don't necessarily need to give myself too many targets to to attain on the cricket pitch because sort of what will be will be when you're playing. If you train hard and work hard physically, you can't really do anything more to, to reach your targets. So for me, it's mainly that. I think the biggest target I probably have is to, to play some Red Bull cricket in the first team. That's what I'd really like to do, hopefully next season. Um, I'd really like to challenge myself in, in doing that and learning a new skill set, really, which I've, I've not really been able to learn yet. So if there is one goal on a player side, it's probably that. Yeah. No. To finish now then, what would your best advice be for a young fast bowler? If you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, I think to any bowler really it would be to just do what you do what you perceive to be your strength and do it really well. If you if you see yourself as someone who can bowl quick, then bowl quick. Don't slow down. You see yourself as someone who swings the ball a lot, swing the ball a lot. As a spinner, your job is to spin the ball, spin the ball a lot. Just whatever, whatever you're doing, just really focus on on that. As and later down the line, your skills will naturally level out, and you'll you'll naturally find sort of what you're good at and what you're not so good at. But when you're when you're younger, I think you need to just try and do everything, and it's, that's fine. If you're you can try and bowl 80 mile an hour and swing the ball well that's fine it doesn't matter if you you don't do particularly well because when you get older you'll recognise what your main strengths are so I would just say to sort of throw yourself in and, and do everything you can to to have fun really and to improve fantastic well that's been a fascinating insight so thank you very much Pat that brings us to the end of this episode of Bowl Fast Think Smart with Pat Brown thank you very much mate Yes, thanks for having me on.